Some of you who may or may not know who I am, uh, my name is Bob Menser. I am one of the teaching elders here. And um, for those of you who are 16 and older, um, I, I want you to know that um, you're going to have to make some modifications because um, about an hour ago I learned that uh, there were going to be some younger folks, 16 and younger, uh, in, in uh, the congregation here this morning in the message session. And uh, so I think I'm going to modify my teaching a wee bit uh, to uh, uh, facilitate uh, their interest in what's going on. And you who are over 16, you'll have to do some transference of of thoughts into an adult concept. You got me? All right. So, uh, over the last two messages, we have looked at the idea of eyes and light. Um, and you need both of those in order to see. You need a good set of eyes in order to see, but you can have a good set of eyes, and if you have no light, if it's dark, you can't see. And the, the reverse is true also. If you have um, uh, poor eyes uh, and you're blind and you, can't, you have all the light in the world, you still can't see. And so that's a scriptural principle that we need to understand in, uh, in, the, in the biblical context is we need eyes to see and we need light to live by. And so my first message was entitled, uh, Eyes to See. And then my second message was, Eyes to See. <laughs> and, oh, okay. I I'm going to skip this slide. And my second message was, Light to Grow. Uh, and if you were here, you'll remember that uh, I became a real nerd. And I started looking at photosynthesis and there's something called phototropism. And phototropism is when these little flowers turn and they all look at the sun when, when they're growing. Or if the sun's over here, the flowers turn this way and they look at the sun. And the scriptural principle is, applies to us. We need to follow the light because the light does many things for us. The light guides us. And we are called sons of light. And so our, our, our being says, I need eyes to see and I need light to follow. Now, with all of that said, we're going to go into today's message, which is eyes that know. Now, this is taken from a passage in Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians, um, and it's taken from there, and the, the passage, um, uh, I want to, before I get to that, I want to do a few things that, that will uh, explain, explain it in a little bit better fashion. Uh, apocalypse. We, oh, Donovan, where's the, where's the microphone? Uh, okay, yeah, we're going to make, the, I probably have to stand here, so I'll send you. Um, this is a test. 
If you answer it correctly, you get to stay. If you answer it incorrectly, you're going to have to leave, okay? Okay, what in your thinking is apocalypse? No, but, oh, yeah, you adults, you all know what you're, I know what you're thinking. You just don't want to be called on. Well, I'll call you later, but thank you for your service. <laughs> this is really strange, because I grew up thinking that apocalypse was end times. You know, it was the destruction of the world. And it doesn't mean that at all. In the Greek, in the Greek, it means to take off the cover, to uncover, to reveal. And so, you know, if I would have a blanket and I would come down, I'm going to lose, I'm going to get in trouble for this, and I would cover up Heidi, and then I would go, whoo, I would have used the word apocalypse, and there she is. means to uncover. Well, Paul, and if we can get to Paul, yep, Ephesians 3, he says, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, men, but is, has been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. That word right there, revealed, is apocalypse. It's been revealed. Well, that's important to us. Why is that important? Oliver doesn't know. <laughs> it's important because we have light and eyes to see it. And this is where we're going to have a follow-up the secret things, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. God has revealed things about his nature, about his plan, about his ways that we need to pay attention to because they've been revealed. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, Things which the eye has not seen or the ear not heard, which has not entered into the heart of men, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. There's a revelation. There's a revealing. Well, now that brings us to Mark 8. And this is an interesting piece of scripture that has plagued me, and I've pondered this for years and years. And so this is the best that I can come up with in, in how I take this. Um, and they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him, Jesus, to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he, Jesus, brought him out of the village... Why he did that, I don't know. And after spitting on his eyes. Now, disgusting. <laughs> spitting on his eyes. 
Yeah, Cora, spitting on his eyes. And laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Well, now this is Jesus, and a little unconventional, spitting in the eyes. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. <laughs> and they came, oh, no, wait a minute, you went back. I went, did I go backwards or did you go backwards? I did, okay. Oh, now I'm going backwards. Okay. And he looked up and said, I see men, for I am seeing like them like trees walking about. Well, wait a minute. This is Jesus. Didn't he raise people from the dead? Didn't he do miracles instantly? Why, why can't this guy see? And I think the key is, then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes, and the man looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. See, we are people who will casually look at Scripture. We'll casually glance at it and then... But will we look intently so that we can see? See, this man didn't see until he looked intently. What's intently mean, Oliver? That's it. He's giving me that kind of face right there. Intently. Intently. He's looking intently. Any of you who are hunters, and you see a deer coming through the woods, and it's buck season. Yeah, that's your dad's hunting right now. He's not in church. What's your dad's name? Well, if he. He may be looking intently to see whether the deer has antlers. And then he has to look more intently because there are, you have to have, I don't, I don't know this stuff anymore. You have to have so many horns, so many points on one. You know, somebody who knows something. Yeah, is that, do I have a, roughly, you can have, yeah, roughly, okay. All right. You and I are going to have to have a talk afterwards. <laughs> Looking intently. You know, uh, A.W. Pink said, the Bible's not a lazy man's book. And it's not, because sometimes we have to look intently in order to see. Okay. But we're casual people. Eh, I read my scriptures today. Poof, I'm good. I read my devotion today. But did you look intently? Did you look intently at what it was saying? Ah, there I did it again. Well, in Ephesians 1.18, there's a passage here that I stopped a little short of, and I'm going to open it up here in a minute, but it says, 
Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Well, wait, wait a minute. We got two things there. We got eyes, and we have light. We got strange eyes, because, <sighs> Cora, where are the eyes? No. That the eyes of your heart, yeah, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. <sighs> Where, where's my doctors? I have, <laughs> I, did, did you know I had eyes in my heart? Yeah, kind of strange. That you may know what is. Isn't that a great... God wants us to know what is. What is what? What is? What, what is? What is? What is? Well, there's two prayers here in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. And I'm going to start with the second one that's underlined. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is and then there are three things. The hope of your calling, the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? See, the prayer is, I want you to know this, and you can because it's been revealed. Well, so what about this calling? Brandon! I'm calling. Jameson, I'm calling. And for the most part, oh, did I miss. Matt, <laughs> I'm calling. That's a private joke. I just could never remember his name. And, uh. What do you think about this calling? I never really gave it much thought, did I? See, you have been called where? You've been called out of darkness and into light. You've been called into his eternal glory. You've been called for the purpose of, ooh Sanctification. Oh, it's a big word. Who wants to answer the big word? Sanctification. Oliver. Go head over on there, Donovan. Let's get his answer. Oh, he doesn't want to answer? Yes, no. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. I was just raising my hand for fun. <laughs> I didn't hear what he said. I think he was just excited for the opportunity to raise oh. his hand. <laughs> Sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in you. 
to change you into whose image? Into the image of God, into the image of Jesus Christ. So there is a calling, and we have to pay attention because the prayer is, I, I want you to know the importance of this call. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. See, we said, pay attention. Make, make certain. Pay attention to it. I have been called. That's not a little thing. And you've been called for certain things. You've been called to walk in light. You've been called to be sanctified, changed. You've been called to think on it. And you've been called to walk worthy in 1 Thessalonians 2.12 so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's a charge. Oh, I pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might know the hope of this calling in your life. Well, let's go on to the, what the second, if I can get there, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Oh, wait a minute. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Well, how about taking me, oh, what are those riches that I'm going to inherit? Let's look at the next scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his sake, or for your sake, he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Whoa! Rich. What, let's read that again. Rich. And rich. Show me the money. Money. Rich. I want money. Green money. Gold money. Money. Well, you know, although he does own the cattle on a thousand hills, and although he owns everything, when we start talking about God's riches, we have to talk and we have to think in a different way. God's riches towards you, and we're going to look at these three scriptures quickly, Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? 
God is rich in kindness. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. God is rich in grace. Ephesians 3, 8 and 9, The unfathomable riches of Christ. There are riches in Christ that we have been revealed. And so when you start saying, oh, I want to see the riches, all you have to do is take a quick look. Kindness, grace, Christ. But God being rich in mercy. What if he wasn't rich in mercy? Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? He wants you rich in faith. and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. And from Romans 9, 23, and he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy. You are a vessel of mercy, and by grace you have been saved. Oh, that the eyes of my heart would understand and be able to see the riches that God has given me. And this inheritance, the Spirit from Romans 8, 16, 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, and also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs. That's what we breathe, right? Air. No! It's not what we breathe. Air. Air. What are they called? They're called... Thank you. Homophones. They sound alike, but they mean different things. For those of you... I, I, okay. As an heir, you are entitled to an inheritance. Now, show me the money. Well, well, let's skip that one. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13. He's qualified us to share in this inheritance. Well, what is this inheritance? What could God possibly let me inherit? And it is a most amazing thing. Most amazing Revelations chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. And he, and he said to me, this is Jesus talking, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, 
and I will be his God, and he will be my son. See, God says, what I want you to inherit is me. I will be your God, and you will be my son. What more? I, I'm the author, the creator, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I created all of this, and now I want you to come and inherit not the things, me. Psalm 16, 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. What a great inheritance. Oh, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you may know what are his riches and an inheritance for you. Now, there's just a caution. There's a caution. And I have to go back to Genesis. And in Genesis 25, 30 to 34, we have the account of Esau and Jacob. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm just going to go through this right here, and then I'll break it down. Well, no, let, me, let me break it down first. Esau's been out hunting. He's a hunter. <laughs> Jacob is not. He goes to church on Sunday. <laughs> right, Kevin? See, all you good Christians out there. <laughs> well, so he comes in, and he says, I'm famished. I need something to eat. What do we got in the refrigerator? Well, Jacob's there, and he's making a vegetable soup. And he's stirring it around, and Esau says, hey, Jacob. I'm going to die if I don't get some of that vegetable soup. I love vegetable soup. Tomato soup? <laughs> tomato soup. I love tomato soup. <sighs> well, Jacob, being a little conniving, says... I'll give you some of this, but what I want from you is your birthright, your inheritance, what you're entitled to. Can I sell it to you? Yeah, I'm starving. Do you have a toasted cheese sandwich that would go with that tomato soup? And he sells it. He says, it's yours. You have an inheritance. And sometimes we have the Esau's who come to you and say, yeah, it's not worth anything. Let me, let, me, uh, let me trade you for it. Like, you'd like to win the lottery? Well, let you win the lottery today. 
You have to abandon your inheritance. See, you have, and Paul writes, please let the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know what are the riches of God and his inheritance for you. Okay. And then we move on to the last part of this prayer, which is, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Power. Yeah. Money. Power. Well, what do you all think of power? Donovan, you raised your hand. What do you think of power? <laughs> yes, Donovan. Stand up and tell everybody what you think of power. Well, power, in my degree uh, earned at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, is defined as strength utilized over a fixed amount of time. Huh? What? It, it's, it's an exertion of strength, one time, done quickly. Oh, punch somebody. Is that what you said? That could be one example, yes. Okay. We have a power over here. Oh, wait a minute. I got another power answer. Think give her is better than mine. We'll give you a pound. We don't have any prizes right now, but okay. And when we think of power, we think of wealth. We may even think of military power. And I want you to know, there's an interesting, I, I, I want to, what's his power towards us? Well, next one. If we can get there. Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26. This is just sort of an idea of what God's power is. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Ezra, how many stars are in the sky? A lot of them. A hundred billion. That's a lot of stars. That's a lot of stars. And you know something? He knows their name. He calls each one by name. See, we pale in thinking about power. God is power. But here's what he says in this next scripture from Romans 9, 22. What if God, although willing to, to, to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction. In other words, he could wipe us all out. But he didn't. He endures. 
he holds his power back and he demonstrates his power in an entirely different way. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the cross, from God's eyes, demonstrates his power. He sent his son to walk on the earth, to teach on the earth, and to become a sacrifice for us so that we may have an inheritance in the saints. That we may be children of light. That we may no longer walk around down here in darkness, in blind, but that we have eyes to see. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16 says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's where God's power is. It's in the simple things. Well, I'm not going to say that this is so simple. But from Ezekiel 37, verses 4 and 5, and here God's talking to Ezekiel. And again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. See, God's power was demonstrated when you were dead. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses, and God did what? He made you alive. That's power. A regeneration. Peter puts it this way. Peter, whoop! Peter, Peter puts it this way. From 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's God's power. That's a demonstration of his power. You were dead, and he made you alive. None of us can do that. What has his power done? From Ephesians 2, 15, he has abolished in his flesh, in Jesus' flesh, the enmity the struggle, the hatred that we had for God. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Galatians 2, 20, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Romans 12, 3 and 4, God has allotted each of us a measure of faith. Don't ever say you don't have faith. God has given that to you. It's his power, his demonstration. I have called you. I've delivered you. I have given you a measure of faith, and I have transferred you out of one kingdom, and I have transferred you into another kingdom. Well, we don't see power in that perspective, but it is. From 2 Peter 1, verses 2 and 4, 
grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us. Wait a minute. His power has granted to who? Us. Us. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become, become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. See, he said, now I'm going to make you lights. I'm going to make you lights in this dark place. Because I can. And he did. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Wait a minute. We have to pause there. We have to look intently. You can't even think more than he can do. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think. According to the power that, wait a minute, according to the power that works in us. He's given me power. Not the kind of power that missiles and punches and stuff bring. Oh, it's another kind of power. He who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. See, I can do nothing without him. And he wants to work through me. Well, I want to go back one. Let me show you when the power of God works in your life. When you say, Michael, I forgive you. When you have somebody who has wronged you, really wronged you, the power of God works when you say, I forgive you. The power of God works in you when you stop to help someone you don't even know. The power of God works in you when you say, it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. I will die. I will pick up my cross, and I will die daily. That's the power of God. Not the kind of power we thought we'd... I want a different kind of power. Nope. That's the power of God. You need to die daily. You need to take up your cross and die daily. When you can say, I have put aside all bitterness, that's the power of God working in you. When you can say, I have no, I envy no one, that's the power of God working in you. When, when Jesus said, I, 
I want you to, if you're required to walk a mile, I want you to walk two miles. When you do that, the power of God's working in you. And so we can go on and on when we see God, his power works in a different way. Paul says, I'm weak, and I boast in my weakness because in my weakness, he is strong. He said to Paul when Paul requested that he remove this thorn from him, he said, oh no, my power is perfected in your weakness. That's how God's power works. Psalm 119, and that's where we'll close. Verses 17 and 18. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Oh, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches he has given us, and in the inheritance that he has provided for us, and that power that he says, that will work within you. We've come a long journey. Eyes that see and light to see by and a prayer that would say, help me to see this more and more and more that I may not say, oh, I see this only as men walking like trees that I may see clearly. Amen? Amen.